Welcome and greetings, career-minded superstars. You are listening to the exclusive Career Coach, your podcast for all things career. And I'm Lisa Edwards, the indispensable career coach for superstars just like you. Now let's dig into this week's topic, shall we? Greetings. How are you today? How is um, how is February? <laughs> how was February by the time this comes out? Um, I am recording this on the next to the last day of February, so I have to tell you guys, I was on fire this week, and you know, what's really interesting about it was, and I wanted to share this with you because I think, I think sometimes when you listen to maybe a podcaster in the career space, you think, well, they've got it all figured out, or whatever space they're in, you think that their growth has completed, and the fact is that their growth, (laughs) my growth, never completes. And it was so interesting that just today, as I was doing this planning, I I, um, had a change in my schedule. I was supposed to meet someone and she was sick. I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go to breakfast. I'm going to treat myself to breakfast and it's going to be a working breakfast with my entire staff. So that would be me. And I'm going to work on this, this new project and really flesh it out and see what it looks like when I really get it out on paper. And I was driving there and I realized that when I was in higher education, my brand was very clearly, I'm the Mary Poppins of, of the world. And what would happen, and it happened at two different universities, is I in the first university, there wasn't a career center. It was a function within the counseling center. And in the second university, it was an underperforming, underutilized, under-everything career center. So with the first one, I took, I took nothing, created a career center, and made it into a really strong part of the campus. And on the second case, I turned that thing around to a showpiece that was featured in admissions catalogs and was featured in articles about the university um, and and its rankings and its success. And I always stayed longer (laughs) out of, I think, a sense of, you know, I was comfortable, right? But I really wasn't comfortable because once I did that magic, my performance would start to drop about the time that there was no more hurdles to jump over. And so in the case of the first university, the the hurdles were were done because it was a like a community college, not in the sense of it being a two-year school, but in the sense of it pulling students from that community. And there was at that time the sense that the career center didn't wasn't that important because the students in many cases were non-traditional. They were working for the company they were going to keep on working for after they graduated. They were just going to have a degree and maybe be able to move up in the company. And I saw that probably two or three years before I left and recognized that I needed to do some things professionally to make myself marketable to move. But I, I, I did kind of have one foot out the door for a while. And with the second university, um, I had turned it into a showpiece. I had been acknowledged for turning it into a showpiece and was facing some challenges that, in retrospect, there needed to be someone else in the office to, to handle those hurdles because they were political hurdles more than building a great career center. And so the, 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 the light bulb that went off for me today was, Lisa, you are still a builder. That's still a huge part of your brand. You are Mary Poppins. You come in and you create something amazing. And I haven't been doing that lately in my business. It's been kind of status quo-y. And uh, in my mastermind and in some of my, my friendship circles, I've been sort of 
commiserating the fact that I'm feeling this sense of dis-ease, unease about where I am right now and where I want to go. And, and I realized today this light bulb came on as I'm driving to breakfast. It's because I needed to build something. And I was kind of thinking about how this these last couple of weeks as I've been sort of bringing all of these pieces together and thinking about them that I was really getting energized. So stay tuned on what all of that is. I'm pretty darn excited about it. But I just wanted to say that this process of self-discovery and self-actualization never stops and should never stop. So you never get there, whatever there is. You're always in the process and there's always more to learn about yourself. The other thing I want to say before I get started is I hope that you notice a difference in the sound. So I've worked really hard to admittedly jerry-rig a system so that the sound quality is better. And I'm, I'm learning I'm not a technical person in that sense. And um, I belong to some podcast groups and they're always talking about, you know, technical things to improve the sound quality, improve the production. I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about, much less do I care. So, but I did want to do something. So this is my experiment and hopefully you'll notice a difference. What I want to talk about today in episode 117 is how to onboard successfully as a leader. I think it's important to start with what I mean by a leader. So you may be in a leadership role and, and really this podcast is going to speak specifically to that. But what I also want you to recognize is that we all should be leaders and leaders are not positional. They are attitudinal. So you can have a leader and I'm sure you've experienced this if you've been out in the workplace for more than a year or two. Someone who is in a leadership role, who is in no way a leader, who hasn't received the training, doesn't have the personal qualities, hasn't been developed into a leader, but yet was put in a leadership role for whatever, for whatever reason. You've also probably worked with people or known people who didn't have the title of a leader, but was just a natural born leader and in everything that they did. And those are the people that get into leadership roles, right? Because you have to be attitudinally a leader before you're allowed, asked to be a positional leader. So this is really about how to onboard successfully as a leader. And, and so what we're really talking about is that kind of first 90 days in the job and, and, and how do you, as a leader, whether it's positional or attitudinal, how do you move forward in an effective way? And this, a lot of the information in this episode comes from the New Leaders 100-Day Action Plan, which is by Brat, Check, and Pedreza. So let's talk about kind of day one forward. So in the New Leaders 100-Day Action Plan, they really start with from the time you get the job. And, and so for many leaders, the work starts before the paycheck does and before the title does. But we're going to talk about day one. So one of the most important parts of this to keep in mind is kind of the ultimate goal. And that goal is to move everyone on your team one step forward. So not everybody's going to be on board with you. And we're going to talk about those different kind of pools of people. So the goal is not to make everybody a raving fan, but the goal is to move everybody one step forward. And how do you do that? Determining the organization's culture, which could also be like a subculture for your department. So there's the corporate culture. And then how does the culture within your specific department look? And that's really key to knowing how to approach that first 90 days or so. And a major component of organizational culture is readiness to change. So that's what I want to talk about first. And there's kind of four 
that I want you to talk about that I want to talk about. And I want you to think if you've been in more than a couple of companies, have you experienced these situations either as the leader or maybe as a team member who has a new leader? Like have you can you identify with each of these cultures? So number one is is what's called smooth sailing. And this is a situation where there is no need for urgent change and the culture is ready for change, right? So you've got basically culture-wise, you've got a pretty healthy team and you've also got a pretty um, active and, and enthusiastic team about change. So in this kind of situation, what you want to do is just kind of get in there and make changes over the time, right? You have a great team. They're willing to become even greater. They are not fighting you as their new leader. And so you're, you're kind of, um, you're kind of coming, if you think about a highway, you're kind of getting on that on-ramp. Things are moving pretty quickly, right? So you you definitely don't want to, like, poke your way into the, you know, the, the lane because you're going to get run over, um, nor do you want to stay in the, in the access ramp. You want to get in there and get going pretty quickly right off the bat. The biggest challenge in this situation is often that the reason that it's a good, healthy, smooth sailing team is that they've had a great leader before. And it may be a great like, great leader that they're still very attached to who left to go on to bigger and better things. You know, I, I remember having a, a former intern who told me about the, the challenge she had because she was filling the shoes of someone who had passed unexpectedly. And that was a whole nother layer of this because not only did they revere him, but now he's, he's passed. And so there is that kind of idol status. And there could be in that situation some resentment towards you as their new leader, depending on the circumstances that the previous leader exited. So your task in this situation is definitely not to make waves, right? So this is a really great team. This is going to be about making incremental, tiny little changes over time. And the worst thing that you could do in this situation is to undo the greatness that the leader, the previous leader, created. So you're going to want to really find out what this team loves about their their situation. You're going to want to observe, you know, be very careful to make those changes and do them with the buy-in of the group, right? Because even a great team is going to say, yeah, I really wish we'd have done this differently. I think we could do more of this, less of this. And you're going to get that kind of intel before you start making those incremental changes. The next situation is unstable calm. So we don't need urgent changes in this situation. It's calm, but the culture is not ready to change. So in this situation, same kind of thing, except it's probably not an interstate. It's probably a country road. You're going <laughs> to kind of get on, you know, get on that on-ramp, get in with traffic, but maybe at a little bit slower of a pace, right? Because you're going to have to sort of do some convincing. So you're going to really have to get your team on side and kind of, I, I like the way that they put it in the book. You want to create a series of carefully thought out minor shocks. So we do not need earthquakes in this situation. Boom, we're going to do this thing. But just some little shocks, in best case scenario, kind of increasing in their their shock value over time so that you can bring this team on side slowly. And and I think that the, the main thing for this group, the unstable calm situation, is to pick your battles, Right. So you're coming in there and you can clearly see where improvement needs to happen, where improvement could happen, but you can't push. You have to finesse them into getting on board with you for this because otherwise you're going to have resentment. You're going to have pushback. 
So the key to this one is to be thinking of what's in it for me, you know, the old WIIFM from the perspective of the employees, right? So as you kind of move them through change, you dangle a carrot or two out there. So what are the incentives? How about we try this? And then here's what's going to happen for you personally if we succeed in this. So really getting that buy-in and helping them to see why they should want to play. So that's unstable calm. The next one is ready to accelerate. So this is urgent change is needed. Absolutely, this is a broken team and the culture is ready for it. Then you wanna converge, get on that interstate's going 75 miles an hour and you're gonna be driving top speed, you know, pedal to the metal kind of thing. You're gonna be that change catalyst. This is really the Mary Poppins kind of situation, right? So they want the change and the change is unequivocally needed. No one's arguing that point. Many leaders in my experience have found this to be kind of their ideal situation because they love that change management piece. They love not having to fight the politics, at least not internally, of the need for the change. So the biggest challenges in this situation are which changes must occur and in which order, right? So you're kind of as a leader, if you love this situation, you can see the breadth and the depth of the need for change, but there has to be an order to it. There has to be a sequencing and there has to be a strategy, right? And then of course there has to be kind of this, let's move through it quickly as possible. This is not the situation where you're like, okay, for the first five years, here's what we're going to do. It's going to be boom, boom, boom in a series. And so that ability to think not only from maybe what's the easiest changes, let's get those out of the way quick. Maybe that's the strategy, but the strategy also would be which ones will result in the biggest change the quickest, right? So if it's, you know, a dollar change that's needed, money, percentages, you know, whatever it is. And, of course, getting that directive from your boss is going to be key. So, you know, I can see that there are there's so much that needs to happen to this department. So help me to understand what your number one, two, and three priority are so that I can plan accordingly. And this is a situation this ready to accelerate, we're doing something is always going to be preferable to non-action. So even if it's not the best step, even if it's not the most logical next step, doing something is always going to be the best course of action for ready to accelerate. Then we get into the really fun one facing disaster. So this is a situation where urgent change is absolutely needed and the culture is not ready. I don't think too many people knowingly walk into this situation because it can be a recipe for disaster. It can sometimes be, you might be called a hatchet man because this is a situation where it's so broken that you've been given a directive to just, you know, fire everyone. It can also be a situation where if you don't know that's what you're walking into, it is the beginning of the end and they are planning to eliminate that function, eliminate that branch, whatever it is that you are over And, you know, they didn't want to tell you that because they didn't think you'd take the job if you did. But from day one, you kind of see, oh, this is this is a this is, again, the beginning of the end kind of situation. You have to be willing and able to shock the system immediately for this one to work. And you can't really be too concerned about the the morale around that because you have to you're facing a survival situation. You have to get in there and do the things immediately. This is a situation that is often a short-term role. 
because you're making widespread changes, you're going to probably have to exit pretty quickly. You may be exited because the function no longer exists. I've known several very confident and competent leaders over my career that I've worked with who actually love this situation because they like the short-term nature of it, right? Like, I recognize that I'm not in there to make a success of this department. I'm in there to end it, or I'm in there to make such drastic changes. So if you're willing to go with that, (laughs) proceed with gusto. But here's where that research comes in before you take the position. So, you know, at least you know what you're getting into and you can make a decision about whether you want to get into that kind of situation. You're looking at all kinds of reports. You're talking to people. You're looking at places like Glassdoor and you're getting at least an inkling that this might be, you know, a facing disaster kind of situation. So now let's shift gears a little bit because the strategies and tactics that you take are going to vary widely depending on whether you're in a smooth sailing, an unstable calm, a ready to accelerate, or a facing disaster environment. So let's talk about the people that you're going to likely encounter on your journey. And as you can imagine, these three groups of people, the percentage of each of them in each of these groups is going to vary widely, right? So number one you have contributors. So these are these are the onboard people from day one. They share your vision. They oftentimes are new to the organization, right? So they're not so dug into the old way of doing things. Could be that they've been there for a long time and they realize what a hot mess everything is. So they could be a contributor for that reason. But oftentimes those new people aren't as married to the old ways and they don't feel like they have as much to stick and much at stake in keeping the status quo. So your strategy with these contributors is to make them champions. So you're going to move them from contributors, so positive contributors to the organization, to champions. Champions of the department, champions of you as the new leader, champions of the project that they're working on, whatever it is that they need to be a champion of. You want to give them the roles. Give them the leadership roles. Put them on the right committees. Give them the key projects to manage. And make sure that they are singing your praises. And I don't mean that in a self-serving way because I think that by singing your praises, they're really singing the praises of the department and the function that the department fills in the organization. Contributors can also be really helpful in getting kind of honest feedback about what they're hearing and seeing in the weeds. So they're not being a tattletale. Um, They don't necessarily have to say, Joe said this, but getting that feeling, right? Because they're on side with you and you want to get that honest feedback. What's the group? What is the team saying in the break room about this new project or this new direction or whatever? Using that again, not as a, you know, you're the, you're the, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? Not a tattletale, but you're the, um, the squeal, (laughs) you're the squealer in the group, but, but rather that you are. They are on side. They want this department to succeed and this function to succeed, and they're helping you. They're giving you important information to help you do that. So those are the contributors. On the other end of the spectrum are the detractors, and these are the folks who are very comfortable with the status quo. They're very change-resistant, and they may see you as a threat, whether it's to their, their value to the organization, their power within the organization, even their very job, right? They often have been in that position for a long time, and so they see a greater threat to change than in keeping things the way they are. Oftentimes, when you've been in a position for a long time, you don't see how it's gone downhill. You don't, you know, sort of like the light bulb, the light bulbs in the room going off one at a time, you don't recognize that it's gotten darker and darker and darker until one day the final bulb goes off and you're in the dark and you realize what has been happening. 
So your strategy with these people, remember we're trying to move everybody one step forward. So contributors go from being super contributors. We want to get detractors to a neutral position. So we want to silence them. Their whining, their complaints, their arguments. Not in a spirit of, you know, it's my way or the highway. You're not exerting your will over them, but you're getting them to be better team players. And that if we talked about earlier, that kind of what's in it for me mentality is super important with the detractors, right? So you're not trying to tell them what's in it for you if you become a raving fan of me and the team and everything. You're simply trying to give them a compelling reason to go to a neutral state and keep their mouth shut. <laughs> then the watchers. The watchers are the middle group, and that's often the, the biggest group of all. So they're kind of the silent majority. They're going to sit on the fence, see which way the wind blew, blows, which way the herd is moving. And your strategy with them is to move them towards the side of contrib uh, to the side of contribution. They may not be, you know, full-on contributors, but we're going to move them in that direction. In in this situation, I think of Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, right? And one of the things he talks about is making small deposits in employees' emotional bank accounts, in anybody's emotional bank account, a spouse, a family member, a friend, and that those those small deposits in their emotional bank account without making huge withdrawals eventually builds up a balance in there that you can pull from. So with these watchers, how can you make small deposits? What can you do to move them in the direction of being a, a, a quasi-contributor, let's call them? How can I avoid asking them for a large withdrawal so that we are still moving in a positive direction? So let's talk about how do you do that? How do you specifically move them one step forward? It's, by, it's about changing the consequences. And so parents learn this about children. Teachers learn this about their students. And the idea is that you're making it more rewarding and less risky for change and more less rewarding and more risky not to change, right? So you're, you're establishing positive consequences for the desired behavior and negative consequences for the undesired behavior with a focus on the positive behaviors that you want and rewarding those. So in a nutshell here, what you're going to do is increase the positive consequences of good behaviors and the negative consequences of bad behaviors, decrease the negative consequences of good behaviors and the positive consequences of bad behaviors. So if you think about it on a graph, what you want is the line to move upward on the good behavior and the line to move downward on the bad behavior. And you do that with those consequences. So what could those consequences look like? Well, it's going to be very specific to what kind of bad behavior are they displaying? How bad is the situation or exactly what is the situation at work? I think there's also a piece of the contextuality of that, that contributor to the overall group. So you kind of put all of that into a pile, into a, you know, a, a mixing bowl, and figure out what makes the most sense for the group. And being also careful of equity, right? So not creating a situation in your effort to improve the behavior of one person that takes maybe a contributor and kind of moves them away from the goal, right? So we're moving everybody forward. No one is getting moved forward at the expense of someone else. So I hope this has given you some food for thought about how to onboard successfully as a leader. That book, again, is The New Leader's 100-Day Action Plan by Brat, Check, and Pedraza. I highly recommend the book. As always, I want to be your career coach. So if you are thinking about a career change and would like expert help in creating amazing marketing documents, creating a job search strategy, 
clearing up any issues around your ability to interview or your ability to negotiate your salary, then I want to talk to you about that. So follow the link in my show notes and you can schedule a 45-minute consult for me with me. There is no charge for that. And I'm going to tell you what it would look like to work with me if I think that we're a good fit for one another. I'm not going to be a heavy sales. That's not my, my shtick. My shtick, my shtick <laughs> is to serve you. And if I believe that I can serve you, then I will let you know what that looks like. But there is no obligation for the call, and I'd love to talk with you. Um, it seems like most of the new clients I'm getting these days has been from my podcast, which I think is an amazing thing. I love it. Reach out to me. You know how to find me. Facebook, Exclusive Career Coaching, <sighs> LinkedIn, Lisa Edwards. Be sure to spell my first name right, L-E-S-A. Love it. A lot of you are connecting with me on LinkedIn. And Instagram is lisa.edwards. Uh, I think I've covered it all. I haven't gotten on Twitter yet, you guys. I know, but I just it just doesn't interest me. So LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. And I'll see you next week. Take care. You've been listening to the Exclusive Career Coach with Lisa Edwards, CEO of Exclusive Career Coaching. It would be great if you would rate, review and subscribe to this podcast. Also, I want to be your career coach. So be sure to ask questions about your career management challenges and job search situation. Until next time.